This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. This episode is brought to you by Sheets and Giggles, a company with a punny name but a seriously sustainable mission to make better bedding for everyone. Sheets and Giggles bedding consists of sustainably made 400 thread count eucalyptus sheets that are static-free, moisture-wicking, use no insecticides or pesticides, and are half the cost of their store-bought competition. Good Together listeners get 15% off at checkout by using the code BRIGHTLY at sheetsandgiggles.com. We've all heard how fast fashion is damaging to the people and the planet. What you probably haven't heard is that the COVID-19 pandemic has created a crisis for garment factory employees around the world. Amid this unprecedented event, workers, factories, and brands are losing wages and are being forced to make difficult decisions to keep their businesses running while protecting health and safety. Orders are being reduced, postponed, or canceled. Lockdowns are preventing work in some countries. And viral exposure on the job is a threat to workers and their families. In this episode of Good Together, Lisa and I discuss with Jessica Andrews, Deputy Fashion Editor at Bustle, how Fair Trade USA is mobilizing to protect garment workers. Jessica's years of experience in the fashion journalism space and her passion for fighting back against the negative impact of the industry make for a fascinating and timely conversation at the intersection of human rights, fashion, and advocacy. Hey, Jessica, welcome to Good Together. We're so excited to have you. So for listeners who um, aren't familiar with Jessica, she is the deputy fashion editor at Bustle, overseeing all things fashion from red carpet roundups to trend reports. Um, before she went, uh, she was at Bustle, she did stints at Refinery29, Teen Vogue, um, and has also contributed to places like Elle, Vanity Fair, New York Times, Essence, just like all of the wonderful new, uh, news sources, I could say. <laughs> uh, so we are thrilled to have her on uh, speaking about all things Fair Trade USA um, and ethical fashion. So Jessica, I wondered if you could kind of give us an intro um, as to your background. I know I just covered a little bit of it there, but you know why you got into um, the the ethical fashion space specifically, and we'll just kind of take it from there. Sounds good. Well, I love um, the intro you read because it really sums up my career. I've kind of done a little bit of everything. I've worked in house at brands and as a freelance writer. And I found that I was really passionate, not just about fashion, though I love beautiful clothes, but like the ethical aspect of it, um, whether that's diversity on the runway or treating garment workers fairly and being conscious about the environment. And I think for me, my passion about um, environmental issues really developed from my sister. Um, She's a climate analyst. She works out of D.C., And she's always been really passionate about how we can make the world a better place for to leave behind for our kids. And that really starts with us being more responsible about our carbon footprint. 
And I, you know, always loved hearing her talk about it because she's so passionate, but I didn't realize how much it crossed over with the fashion industry until I started my career. And I saw just how wasteful the industry can be. Um, And also I learned about Rana Plaza um, and I was devastated to know all the garment workers whose lives were lost that day. Um, And I really felt like I could make a difference through my platform and my jobs by speaking out about this because I thought if I wasn't aware of, you know, how the fashion industry was contributing to climate change and just um, the like lack of environmental responsibility that they had, I thought there must be other people that feel this way too, you know? So I, I realized I could really use my platform to spread awareness and, you know, working with my sister, her name is Sabrina, and other um, advocates in this in this space, like Rachel Wang, who was the stylist for the Fair Trade Lookbook, who's such an inspiration to me. I was able to learn more about these issues and then find a way that I could cover them at all the different places I've worked. So that's been something that's been really rewarding for me to do, to feel like I'm helping make a difference in some way. So yeah, Desik, it's really good to hear how you kind of got into ethical fashion and you absolutely kind of um, nailed it in terms of like when you felt like even you don't know about it. And I think uh, despite the fact that we are in the fair trade ethical fashion industry, we all know about this stuff. We are super passionate about, you know, kind of spreading awareness about what happened at Rana Plaza. And by the way, for uh, our listeners, in case you don't know, Rana Plaza was a factory collapse in Dhaka, Bangladesh. The whole entire factory collapsed on April 24th, 2013, killing over 1,100 people people, um, garment workers, and it kind of gave, uh, it was the fuel behind the ethical fashion and fashion revolution movement, which is, um, you know, we've, we've, we've been through so much over the years, over the seven years now. Um, and it's, you're absolutely right. Not everyone knows about it and spreading awareness is so incredibly important. Uh, just so everyone knows, uh, what, what's happening in the world, because again, we are so, so disconnected these days, uh, from, uh, the people who are making basically every product, not just the products that we're wearing, but products that we eat with products we surround ourselves with in the house. Um, so you're absolutely right with that. Um, so, and you also mentioned that we wear fair trade campaign, right? You are one of the brilliant women and spokesperson for the We Wear Fair Trade campaign that was launched last month, right in time for Fashion Revolution Week by Fair Trade USA. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, of course. So it's interesting that you uh, brought up Rana Plaza again because that really inspired it. Um, and Fair Trade originally launched the We Wear Fair Trade campaign last year um, during Fashion Revolution Week to honor the Rana Plaza garment factory collapse. Um, and I think doing it this year felt really urgent as well, um, just to raise awareness around how garment workers are still being impacted today. Um, and then also, especially considering the effects of COVID-19 um, and how, you know, fashion's most vulnerable people are impacted during a crisis even more. Um, so this campaign, we wanted to really highlight that. Uh, Rachel Wang, again, um, she was the stylist and the creative director, and she collaborated with BYTNYC to do a short film. Um, And that really moved me so much just to hear about how these different advocates started getting active in the the space and why fair trade is so significant to all of us. And it was really great to, to be featured alongside like some of my heroes. I mean, I always looked up to Cameron Russell. Uh, She's a supermodel and an advocate um, for eco-conscious fashion. And I just love how she uses her platform. So that was a great moment for me. And then like Aisha Barenblatt is in it. She's the founder and CEO of Remake. And they're fighting right now uh, for garment workers to get their due during coronavirus. And then Sustainable Brooklyn, I've actually shopped there quite a few times. And the owners of um, Sustainable Brooklyn were in it too. So it was just a really great moment to see all these inspiring women um, really standing up for garment workers, 80% of whom are women, um, and, you know, making sure that they're treated fairly and that we're advocating for brands to really do right by them. So it was a really beautiful moment. 
Yeah, no, I, I love the campaign and I love all the women that you've just mentioned. Um, I actually met uh, Nas Nasreen, uh, one of the spokesperson for this campaign, along with you. Uh, Nasreen, uh, I've met her, I think, three years ago at the Fair Trade Federation conference. And Nasreen, she was a child laborer herself. Uh, and, you know, listening to her story in person from the person who has been exploited, who has, you know, felt it and lived this reality herself. It was incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, so I really applaud this uh, this campaign, everything that you uh, guys have done uh, to promote it. And as you mentioned, you know, uh, it's amazing that it focuses on women, women who are wearing fair trade, because as you just said, approximately 80% of garment workers are women, but they're notoriously underrepresented in the industry as well. Yeah, so I wanted to hop into um, some interesting figures um, that Rachel Cernansky of Vogue Business, um, she's the sustainability editor, actually. She shared some really interesting facts on how COVID-19 is currently affecting the fashion industry and more importantly, um, the garment workers that are that are being affected here. So according to data provided by the Bangladesh Garment Manufacturers and Exporters Association, $1.5 billion worth of garments have been canceled across about 1,000 suppliers, while $2 billion of orders have been put on hold. Um, the president of the um, Bangladesh Garment Manufacturers and Exporters Association says that deferred orders and cancellations of both existing and future orders are common throughout the country's garment manufacturing se sector. Uh, they're saying, you know, we are we're taking these orders, we're taking the goods, but we don't know when. It can be anywhere between 120 days to 360 days, and unfortunately, all of this does not help suppliers pay their bills in the meantime. And these garment workers and their factories may not survive anyway if these orders don't pick back up. So, uh, I'm wondering, um, Jessica, if you can tell us a little bit more of what you've seen about this topic. You know, a lot of brands have been making promises on making these payments, um, you know, anyway, but are, are brands, are they actually doing that? Well, you know, I mentioned Remake earlier and Aisha Barron-Blatt, and I really am so inspired by the work she's been doing um, to bring awareness to that. And it also really inspired uh, the Fair Trade Lookbook as well. But since we've started to make some noise about this, we have seen some brands step up. Um, you know, quite a few are now agreeing to make these payments um, now that it's being spoken about in the press and, and people are catching on, uh, but not nearly enough. And I think that people don't realize now how coronavirus is impacting garment workers in a way that really kind of cripples them while they're trying to make a livelihood, while they're trying to maintain their health. And I think that it's really easy to kind of focus on your own experience stateside and, and not realize how people are being impacted when you don't see it day to day, which is why it's so important that we use our platform to talk about this. And, you know, garment workers are suffering right now because of the orders that people are failing to honor. Um, so I think that like, when you look at a brand like Adidas, or you look at a brand like Target or Nike, that's like actually stepping up to pay that they're setting an example that we're hoping these other brands will follow. But in the meantime, I would really encourage everyone to go to Remake Our World and sign the petition and also to vote with your dollars. So if you see a brand listed on Remake that is not paying garment workers, I would immediately stop supporting that brand. And I would use social media to speak up to, to really uh, bring awareness and, and spread around your networks. And I think that the more people that talk about this and the more people that uh, vote with their dollars will, will force these brands to do right by garment workers. Absolutely. Yeah, we can't agree more. And I love that you're already bringing in like a simple actionable tips that our listeners can um, just take today, literally uh, check their if their brands are actually doing right by the garment workers that are making products for them. Uh, speak up, uh, share on social uh, media, you know, during fashion revolution right now during COVID-19, but also in general, uh, we always like to tell our community and listeners 
how important it is to speak up. And talk me about kind of explaining to uh, our listeners how, you know, these are stra- staggering numbers, right? 1.5 billion worth of garments uh, orders have been canceled. You know, that's like... 1100 suppliers and unfortunately unfortunately i have to say that traditional retail uh it's it's notorious for this just um just how uh, Rachel's article is uh, stating in the interview with a Bangladeshi uh, garment manufacturing leader, uh, and you know we've uh, we've experienced it in the fair trade world uh, ourselves. For example, we work in my previous role uh, at a fair trade company. We work with TJMX when they placed an order of thousands uh, of um, hand hand woven baskets, and we did not get paid for that order. I think two months after it was delivered, uh, but of course the our fair trade company. Company, we fronted the costs, right? We paid artisans before. But if if uh, huge corporations like TJ Maxx or just any regular business, that's how regular retail businesses, not fair trade businesses work, uh, you know, artisans, you know, are not able to front such huge costs. The, the, uh, the big orders are amazing for them, but it's absolutely not financially sustainable for small artisan groups, for garment workers themselves to front the cost for uh, product, the materials uh, to make the products. So you're absolutely right. And I think, again, uh, going back to COVID-19, all of these aspects that uh, is completely normal, unfortunately, for the traditional um, economic system of the world right now, traditional retail and e-commerce, we're suddenly realizing how... um, how unjust it is, right, during COVID-19, because we just, again, we had time to slow down, to think about it. Uh, Suddenly we really realize how important are the people on the other end of supply chain and just the fact that they're actual real people and they're not robots and they need our support. So I absolutely agree with you on that. Um, Yeah, I absolutely agree. I also think that, you know, um, with COVID-19, another way that it's really helped is that people are shopping less. So they're starting to realize that like, it's not necessary to overspend and be frivolous. Um, and I think one of the things that I learned like immediately about the sustainable movement is the idea of shopping with intention and buying things that you can invest in and you can wear multiple times. And I see people starting to do that while they're in quarantine. So it's one of those things that I think between like the way garment workers are being treated and that people spreading awareness and then also people learning how to shop less and shop with more attention. Those are things that I really hope continue after coronavirus, after we're able to find a cure prayerfully and a vaccine. I hope that people are still kind of aware about how they're contributing to the fashion industry's sustainability movement. Um, just in the way that they shop and the way they educate themselves about brands they support. Yeah, absolutely. We feel like this trend of mindfulness um, that's happening because we literally have, to be honest, nothing else to do (laughs) other than think about things. Um, You know, we're hoping that this becomes a positive force for good in the conscious consumerism movement. Um, And we're you know, calling that a good thing to happen out of a pretty bad situation. Um, I wonder, Jessica, if you we could get into a little bit um, of a bit more of like on the ground question. So do you know much about um, the day to day impact of the lost wages uh, on the garment workers communities? You know, um, have you heard any stories of how this is affecting people right now? Well, I think about the way that they are working with factories to kind of help garment workers who are in the middle of this. Um, so there's, no, of course, the first thing is wages, right? People need to be paid for their work. Um, so not being paid, obviously, is, con- is contributing to such huge issues within communities um, where people need that money that they've earned fair and square just to survive. Um, so that's the obviously most urgent need. But separately, we're finding that um, there's an just as important need for there to be uh, a way to protect these workers while they're um, at the factories because of coronavirus. And because they're not being paid, the factories aren't able to invest in the necessary equipment, um, the necessary training so that workers can protect themselves and stop the spread. Um, they They don't have the money to invest in sanitation and hygiene practices that will keep them from getting sick. 
So it's really, you know, just on so many different cylinders that they're being impacted by not having um, these payments go through. And one thing I really like about fair trade um, is that for fair trade, for fair trade certified factories, um, they have what's called a community development fund. So basically for every fair trade product sold, whether that's like tea or clothes or coffee, the brand will pay an additional amount of money. Um, and that beyond just the wages goes into the community development fund. And that fund is there for the workers to use and vote on for how they want to spend it to like improve their lives and, and address any critical needs that they have. So right now during coronavirus, those factories are using those funds to do exactly what I said. They're using those funds to educate garment workers, to make sure that they have PPE so that they're safe and they don't become ill, um, so that they can educate themselves about physical distancing and sanitation. And I think all of that's crucial. You know, right now it's so irresponsible um, to have workers come in and not be protected from the coronavirus outbreak. Um, it spreads like wildfire. We've seen even stateside when there's no PPE. Um, and with the fair trade funds, they're able to do that. Um, but then also, you know, we're seeing that they're able to kind of combat the money that's not being paid by these brands that aren't fulfilling orders. Um, so I'm just really grateful to see that. And I think that, you know, when we kind of advocate for these brands to pay up, that's the, the whole theme of the movement. When we advocate for that, we're not only helping them get wages, but we're helping them get money that can protect workers. Um, and I think that that's so crucial right now. And every worker uh, deserves to know that they can be protected and safe when they come into work. Great. And I love that you kind of led into the community de development fund aspect. I believe uh, kind of a more general term for this um, in the fair trade fair trade world, at least, uh, it's called fair trade premiums, right? It's basically an additional sum of money which goes into a communal fund for workers and farmers to use as they see fit. And it's democratically basically made decision in terms of how these uh, premiums will be distributed. And as you just uh, absolutely correctly mentioned that, um, you know, Fair Trade USA, they actually... Um, you know, they establish a new policy on the emergency fund used for COVID-19 and essentially making, uh, increasing the flexibility of how this community, uh, community development funds will be used. Um, yeah, and uh, obviously we have been, we have been saying a lot, like mentioning fair trade throughout many of the episodes before. Unfortunately, there's still uh, a bit of confusion uh, in the general public about fair trade. Uh, and I was, I wanted to ask you, I should have asked it probably in the beginning of the episode, if you you were to describe fair trade um, as a term, uh, how would you describe it to a friend? What it means to you personally? Well, to me, you know, I I was first uh, introduced to fair trade when I was at Team Vogue and working with Patagonia um, for the Team Vogue Summit. And it's so funny because as they were describing their partnership, I felt like, you know, I almost got chills because I, I really feel like fair trade is the future. Um, and it's going to be the standard for, for how we do business moving forward. Um, fair trade is committed to, to transparency and accountability from brands um, when it comes to every aspect of our lives. So that's from food we eat to the clothes we put on our bodies. And I have to say, you know, as a fashion editor who, who really serves a lot of Gen Z readers, um, they are so like selective about what brands they support. And they really do the research to make sure that they can trust a brand from an ethical standpoint, that they know that this brand is, you know, has like good practices with factory workers and is not putting chemicals in their foods. Like Gen Z is very intentional about that. Um, so I think that more brands are going to start to wake up and want to work with organizations like Fairtrade if they want to stay afloat. Um, and it's something that I'm so I, I just get chills. Like I'm so passionate about seeing it happening because, you know, I didn't grow up with that. And I think that every consumer deserves that. Um, so fair trade, you know, they're making these industries more responsible and ethical. Um, and in doing so, it's, it's really changing the way that we shop and it's changing the way that we relate to brands and really, really making a difference that I think is going to last. Um, and so for me, working with fair trade was such an amazing opportunity because you know, I think in general, like the press really needs to start talking more about the human side of sustainability. Um, and, you know, Fair Trade is really passionate about that. 
Um, but you know, it's more and more I find like when people go to shop, they're just not looking at a t-shirt or a dress and thinking, oh, that's stylish. Let me wear it. They want to know everything about that company. They want to know how employees are treated, how garment workers are treated, you know, what chemicals are being used and how it impacts the environment. So I really do think fair trade is going to be the future of consumerism. Um, and it really is just so exciting to see it grow. Thanks so much for listening. We'll get back to today's episode in just a second, but we wanted to take a break to recognize a few companies that we've partnered with. Right now, there are thousands of ethical brands out there, which can be confusing and overwhelming. This is why Brightly exists. We are your guide to doing good in the world through conscious consumerism. We personally vet and try products from every single brand that we partner with, both on our podcast and on our platform, Brightly.eco, so that you don't have to do the research yourself. Partnerships like this are what helps Brightly and our community grow and increase our impact. Thank you. Laura, you've probably heard me talk all the time about my love for sheets and giggles. I've been sleeping on their new sustainable eucalyptus sheets for the past three months straight. I recommend them a thousand percent. Every week I wash them and put them back on the bed right away. They're my go-to sheets. All of my other sheets, even the ethical ones, are taking a long break. After hearing you rave about them for so long, I finally got to try their new eucalyptus comforter. I'm a weirdo. I really like having a comforter on my bed all the time, even in the middle of the summer. And I haven't been waking up hot when I've been using this one from Sheets and Giggles. It's a great ethical and sustainable alternative to the down one we used to use that's now sitting on our guest bed. Another thing I love about Sheets and Giggles is that they don't use plastic packaging and their materials don't use pesticides. So they're kind to our animal and insect friends. They also plant a tree for each sheet set that is sold, and they are passionate about giving back. They give 10% off to their customers who donate their old sheets to homeless shelters and have donated over $40,000 to Colorado COVID relief. That's awesome. Good Together listeners get 15% off by using the code BRIGHTLY at sheetsandgiggles.com. This episode is also brought to you by Bootywear, super soft, comfortable, everyday essentials that Lisa and I are in love with. I love my bootywear socks so much that I wore them for a week straight and then lost one of them. I think about it all the time. That's terrible. Anyway, one of the reasons we love bootywear is because they're made of an ethical and sustainable material, bamboo. Most bamboo around the world is grown without pesticides, fertilizer, or artificial irrigation, so it's super water-friendly. Bootywear uses ethically farmed bamboo and manufactures their products in a closed-loop production process. This means that no water is wasted during production, and it's recycled. Plus, each product possesses important ethical certifications, like RAP for ethical labor, Okotex 100, and more. Yeah, and did you know that bamboo is ready for harvesting in as little as three months, while trees can take more than 20 years? I'm also kind of obsessive about the types of fabrics I wear. They have to be soft or else I won't wear them. Bootywear made the cut for me. The bamboo-based material is really breathable and bootywear turns it into beautiful basics like shirts, socks, underwear, and more for men, women, and kids. Good Together listeners can get 20% off by using code BRIGHTLY at bootywear.com. Bootywear is spelled B-O-O-D-Y wear. This is music to our ears. Me and Laura are listening and we're just like, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, it did take quite a while, especially for the fair trade movement that's been here in since the 70s to kind of have this peak now. Right. But again, uh, we've been saying as an industry, we've been saying that sustainability is not a niche. Fair trade is not a niche. But I think we're seeing with this new generation of consumers and you, you, your audience is basically very, very similar. The same audience that, um, you know, Brightless biggest fans are the Gen Z and millennial women who are asking the tough questions, who are stopping, uh, sh stop shopping. They're stopping shopping with their favorite brands because these brands are not able to give them answers that they need they're not being transparent um, so let's talk about the other side of fashion uh, which is in that kind of another dark side of uh, fashion what happens to the goods that are ordered but are not paid for where do they uh, where do they go of course 
hopefully some of uh, our listeners are aware that of the vast majority of clothes in the waste disposal stream, roughly 70% will go to landfill and 30% will be incinerated. And that's the data from, I believe, 2017-2018 Pulse report. Um, what have you been seeing uh, in as a journalist right now? Uh, are we generating, is fashion industry still generating this incredible uh, amounts of trash um, uh, as they used to, you know, a couple of years ago? Yeah, I absolutely agree. We're seeing the same amount of trash going to landfills. Um, we're seeing actually a lot of, um, and this was something that we talked about during Fashion Week last season, but we're seeing a lot of uh, T-shirts being sent to countries like Ghana, um, where there's a complete like overflow of uh, clothing items that are discarded coming in from America more than they can handle. Um, we're seeing a lot of clothes that aren't sold actually being burned by some brands, and, and a couple of brands were exposed for that, uh, and uh, quite a few readers that I have were upset about it. So we continue to have this issue where there's such an overproduction um, in the fashion industry and there's such wastefulness and uh, disposability at play. Um, And it's really like an urgent issue um, because not only is it bad for the environment, but when you have, you know, clothing going to Ghana and and you have, um, you know, uh, clothing being burned, it becomes an ethical issue as well, you know, how they're uh, disposing of it. So I think for me, learning that, I was always, you know, kind of um, obviously lending uh, myself to like recycling and and thrifting. And I think that's really great as well um, for the average person to do, whether it's them buying resale or or, um, selling their clothes on places like eBay or, um, you know, even having shopping parties, we're seeing a lot of our readers having closet cleanouts and selling to their friends. Uh, so that's something that I would advocate for just from a personal level. But uh, when it comes to the fashion industry at large, I think it goes back to being selective about what brands to support, you know, and, and demanding transparency, um, asking these especially fast fashion retailers, you know, how are you handling excess clothing that isn't getting sold? You know, what are your business practices? Are they ethical? You know, are they hurting the environment? Are they hurting, you know, vulnerable populations? And I think that once you start to dig in and ask those questions, you'll be surprised by how many brands have have thrived by making sure that was kept a secret. Um, And from there, you can be selective about supporting them. You know, I really love giving to brands that have uh, kind of like a recycling program at play or, you know, with Everlane, for example, they're having a sell right now. You know, we made too much, so they're they're offering discounts. And I think that once we start supporting brands like that, we can push for that to be the fashion industry standard. But it's something that needs to happen quickly um, because you're absolutely right. The landfill problem is is horrible and it's not getting any better. Yeah, I feel like in general, you know, one of the things that we focus on with Brightly and with this podcast, of course, is conscious consumerism. Um, And there's always going to be a tension between the need of the consumer to purchase things as needs arise, right? Um, And then, you know, the desire to buy less and to leave a better um, impact on the planet. You have like the individual concerns that I just mentioned, but then you also have the companies who, you know, they make more money when you buy more things. So to your point, I think the more people understand about the way this model has really benefited the bad actors who have made, you know, this fast fashion, all of these types of things a secret, I think the more you understand that, the more you start to think, I've got to support people who are doing it better. And I think this is just, it's it's just so important. Um, So one thing that I have been thinking about as we've had this conversation, specifically around the need for, um, you know, the the way the current purchasing cycle works from a brand perspective, right? Like they place the order ahead of time. They have to make a guess about how many of these items they think they're going to sell. They place the order. They, it goes through, um, you know, there, there ends up being a cycle where, you know, folks have to be, uh, to wait to get paid, et cetera. I'm wondering if we, if you actually have seen in your reporting, Jessica, if you think the pre-order model of individuals paying for goods ahead of time 
rather than relying on companies to front these costs, has any promise? I absolutely think that has promise. And we're starting to see uh, a couple of indie designers uh, pick that up as a model. And not only is it uh, better for sustainability, um, but they find that it's a smarter business model for their company um, because they're not overspending on resources and then dealing with fallout when things aren't sold. So I think that, you know, with the fashion industry right now, obviously we know they're suffering under coronavirus, but the great thing is that it's inspired a lot of designers to start thinking differently about business models. Um, And pre-order is one of those things that I do see starting to pick up speed, especially during this time. Um, Even some designers that have like a limited um, uh, resources right now to produce clothing, they're starting to adapt the pre-order model even temporarily while we're in quarantine. um, And they're seeing a lot of great benefits from it. So that's great, I think. And then also, you know, with brands, they're also um, really considering doing less collections. Um, We saw that Dries Van Noten did an open letter to the fashion industry about changing the calendar, because I think that the demand to, as you mentioned, create new clothing um, and so many new deliveries each season, it's weighing on the fashion industry. Um, It's weighing on the environment uh, because that clothing then goes to landfills when it's not sold, like we mentioned. But then also, you know, the people, the garment workers, the people who work at these warehouses with brands, they're completely uh, burnt out and taken advantage of, really, uh, when it comes down to it, because they're overworked. So the idea is that why are we producing so much clothing, especially when there's no guarantee that it'll even be sold? Yeah, it's such a strange, I mean, this is the way it's more or less been for the past I don't know, pick it at least past 50 years, I would say. Um, I think when we think back to, you know, back in the day where people were making their own clothes or potentially going to a tailor (laughs) um, to have these clothing, you know, pieces of clothing made, obviously the the model that we use today didn't exist. And so, you know, the the whole concept of slow fashion and the return to, you know what, maybe we're going to have to wait a little bit for our garments to be made, you know, is something that's going to have to happen. And we're going to have to go against the um, instant gratification that we've all come to expect from Amazon, from places that, you know, from fast fashion where, you know, we might see a look on the runway and then you can go into H&M the next week and there it is. I mean, I think to your point, these fashion cycles, the way that the industry works right now um, is truly unsustainable, both from an environmental perspective, but now we're seeing you know, really from a monetary perspective as consumer behaviors start to change. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's fascinating to me um, that we we've totally been sold a bill of goods <laughs> when it comes to the way we consume things. So, it, yeah, I that's kind of all I have on that. Right. But I just for me, it's just always been such an interesting thing to think through. Yeah. And I think that, you know, to your point about slow fashion, I wonder if the industry had been quicker to embrace that model um, and return back to, like you said, how, you know, people used to order couture, they would pre-order and they'd go to the tailor. I think that they could actually have staved off some of the damage that they've experienced um, from coronavirus because they would just be producing garments based on what's being ordered. Um, but right now, they're buying so excessively. So you have all these garments that haven't been sold. You have orders they've made with garment workers that haven't been fulfilled. And it's all because that pace was too fast. Um, and it, like you said, it's completely unsustainable. And I think that quarantine and coronavirus have shown us that. Exactly. And as we like to say it brightly, we see COVID-19 as a global reset. And so we definitely have a huge hopes that, you know, and we're already seeing, just as you are saying, we're already seeing that fashion industry, uh, even traditional fashion brands, right? Fast fashion brands, they are starting to think, right? They're forced to start think and start uh, slowing down, uh, which again, the silver lining that we are seeing um, from coronavirus uh pandemic. So we are coming to the end of the episode, but we always like to ask our guests three questions. Uh, and the first one is, um, and you kind of have been dropping uh, some of the actionable tips already, but uh, we're wondering if you can share maybe even more one or two actionable tips uh, on living ethically that our listeners can implement in their daily lives. 
Absolutely. So as I said in the beginning of the podcast, um, you know, when I started in fashion, sustainability was really new to me. And I learned a lot uh, through my sister and, and people like Rachel Wang, um, who, who taught me. But the first change that I made was I stopped uh, shopping fast fashion. And I started to support brands that were selling things that already existed. So, you know, shopping resale was something that I really embraced. Looking into vintage, renting even, renting clothing items, um, consigning myself and, and uh, being able to make an income from that. So the idea is that right now we're overproducing in the fashion industry. Um, and it really is, to me, one of the biggest crimes that we're making against the environment is constantly producing uh, all these garments when, you know, we can embrace movements like resale or vintage or even renting clothing and find a way to have that new outfit that, you know, everybody loves, that's stylish, that you want to show off, but do it in a way that's more responsible and is not contributing um, to, to the fashion industry's carbon footprint. So that's something I always recommend every time I do a talk. Every time I do a panel, buy things that already exist. And secondly, I feel like, oh, sorry, I was just going to just just kind of piggyback off of what you just said, because I think it's I, it's something I've not heard people um, articulate this way. So I think it's super interesting. So not only can we do these consumer behaviors like you're just talking about, but something that you alluded to was why don't we celebrate this amongst our friends and our groups, right? Like if you see somebody wearing something that's thrifted or outfit repeating, kind of like we um, celebrated some of the celebrities who, you know, of course, last time they were able to get out and get dressed up, they were re-wearing dresses, right? Like I feel like as a culture, we could also start to uplift this behavior, right? <laughs> right. I totally agree, you know, and I actually um, am, have a blog and I'm like really active um, on Instagram. And one of the things I found that uh, my followers always love is me showing how to style something differently. You know, the idea that you need a new outfit for every post or every event, like that's kind of out of style right now. And I think it's a lot more inspiring and creative when you can take what you already have and find a new way to accessorize it or find a new way to layer it and make it really pop and feel new. Um, and I, that goes back to what I was saying about buying investment pieces. It's not worth it to buy something fast fashion and have it fall apart, you know, uh, like a season later, right? Or know that you're contributing to um, a cycle and a, a business model where garment workers aren't being treated fairly, where where clothes are being discarded and, and that environmental impact, like, it's just not worth it, you know? Um, so I really like advocate for people just creating a closet that you love and you want to play with. Um, and I think you're absolutely right that that's something we should start celebrating. And we've seen it on the red carpet. Um, we write about Kate Middleton a lot and she's always repeating dresses. And I love to see that. Right. Um, I think it's, it shows real personal style when you can pull that off. For sure. So, yeah, sorry to interrupt your second tip, but I just I, oh, I had, no, to, no, had no, to jump no in with that. <laughs> No worries. It's such a good point. Um, so the second tip for me is I think that a lot of times uh, our readers don't understand their power. And the fashion industry runs because of consumerism. So you have such an impact on models that you uh, contribute to and you allow to, to survive. So I think that the more that people are selective about the brands that they support, the more they speak out when they see injustices happening, like with garment workers during coronavirus, the more brands are forced to change. Um, and we've already seen that happening with the pay-up movement. We've already seen people putting money together to pay back these unfulfilled orders because the spotlight is on them. And I would really encourage people to feel empowered to speak up. Um, because I think that that's the only way that we're going to see a difference. And not only, you know, using your platform to to add some noise, but then also voting with your dollars, you know, support brands that use sustainable materials, ethical business practices, um, brands that respect labor rights, that pay fair wages, and they create a safe environment for their garment workers. Like that is crucial to make sure that you are 
investing in a company that is doing right by women, uh, women garment workers. And we said 80% of garment workers are women. So it's just such a huge number to me. Um, and the fashion industry, most of the consumers are women, right? So I think it's just natural that you would want to make sure you're working with brands that are doing right by them. Um, and, you know, I, we've already seen, like I said, this movement start to take place. We've seen people embrace brands like Madewell, um, which is fair trade, embrace brands like Everlane, embrace, embrace brands like um, I like look, wore an Obey sweatshirt during my fair trade lookbook and I'm like wearing one now. <laughs> I've been like lounging in it uh, really too many days since a quarantine started. But it's like brands like that that I think where I can feel proud to support them and I don't have to, you know, worry about what ethical business practices or unethical business practices, I should say, they're hiding. So I think that a lot of people are starting to starting to dig in and make sure they're holding brands accountable. Um, And I would really encourage everyone to do that when they're shopping. You have the last say because you're purchasing. So make sure that you're investing in a brand that's doing right. Absolutely. Yeah. Without you as a consumer, no brand, no matter how huge they are, um, they, you know, these brands won't exist without you, without your dollars. And as you just said earlier, you are voting with your dollars and guess what? Brands are listening. And this is the reason why, you know, uh, huge fast fashion brands like H&M uh, are starting their conscious collection. They started a while back, right? right, Almost right after Rana Plaza, where the public outcries was so loud. And, you know, Madewell is starting their fair trade lines. I think they had a few fair trade jeans as well. But, you know, this uh, traditional bigger retailers retailers who are listening to you. So uh, absolutely right. This is like the biggest thing that you can do. You know, we can't buy our way to sustainability, as you just mentioned. It's it's great and it's much better to buy things that have already been produced. This is the most environmentally sustainable way to shop, right? To buy secondhand so you're not contributing to uh, purchasing new uh, fashion items. So last thing, uh, last question that we love to ask, and I think it's very important, especially now, um, what excites you the most about the ethical and sustainable movement right now? What is uh, the most exciting campaign, brand, or anything like something happening uh, with us as humanity uh, that excites you right now? Well, I really love this question. I think it's a it's a great question. Um, and I have to say, what excites me the most is seeing this movement become more inclusive. Um, I think for so long, and, and part of the reason why I kind of didn't embrace it um, as early as I maybe should have is because the sustainability movement was really seen as elitist. It was seen as something that was only for like wealthy, thin white women. Um, and I think that a lot of people wanted to participate, but just felt like they couldn't afford it or, you know, they weren't, they weren't the right body type for it. Um, and that was kind of one of the, the reasons when I, uh, did an article just, uh, talking to people about supporting fast fashion or supporting more affordable brands. One of the major reasons that people gave was just that they couldn't afford it or they felt that you know, sustainable fashion was never kind of catering to their body type or their size. And I'm so excited to see that change. I think that, you know, we all need to be invested in the environment and how the fashion industry impacts that. We all need to be invested in how garment workers are treated. Um, And I think that the industry is finally coming around to, to making sustainable fashion more accessible. Um, obviously resale helps, but, you know, even getting brands, like I mentioned, Madewell, you know, Athleta that are working with Fairtrade certified, seeing that I think really gets me excited because I know it's going to reach so many people who are passionate about the environment, but they felt left out. They felt excluded. Um, and in order for us to really make a difference and us to change the fashion industry, the way it needs to be changed, we, we need to make sure that the sustainable movement includes everyone. Um, and to see that movement open up and embrace different, you know, body types and different and different price ranges, um, I think is way overdue. But but it does make me hopeful for the future. 
I love this. I couldn't have said it better. It's something I have been very passionate about, you know, with the fair trade movement, ethical brands, right? A lot of times, at least before, yes, you would find a lot of fair trade uh, products because, you know, as a fair trade brand, you are paying artisans and uh, garment workers more for the products they're making. So, of course, you have to charge more to the customer, but not to the extent that, you know, you're making fair trade and ethical products, almost like luxury ones. And for me, I have I completely agree with you. I have always been extremely passionate for making fair trade and ethical products accessible to everyone, not just 1% of the world, because it completely goes against um, our mission of spreading the word about fair trade and ethical products, right? And now, again, yes, absolutely right. We're opening to, you know, uh, all people everywhere in the world, no matter what your income is, uh, you know, you, what your skin color is, your lifestyle, you know, as you just mentioned, you know, me, both me and Laura, the same way, you know, it's not like we were born into fair trade. It took, it took me years to, you know, actually uh, take steps, start with small steps and then commit 100% almost to buying things ethically, secondhand, fair trade. And that's completely okay. This is kind of our probably biggest mission in Brightly to meet everyone on their sustainability journey where they are. Um, and I love, love, love that, um, that point that you brought up. Yeah. Accessibility and sustainability need to, to go together, right? <laughs> oh goodness. Well, uh, Jessica, we really appreciate you joining us. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people ask us, what does fair trade mean? You know, what does ethical fashion mean? What, what can I personally do? And everything that you mentioned to us is actionable and educational. So yeah, just thank you so much for joining Lisa and I, we really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. I really, you know, I love this podcast. I love what you guys are doing. Um, I think that we are so aligned in what we want the fashion industry to be and, and, and the promise that we can bring to it. And it's wonderful to see women like you using your platform to, to spread awareness. I mean, it really inspires me. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.